Hi, thank you for joining us. This Mita del Com podcast episode has been produced by the Mita Diversity Institute Global, which is a member of the Mita del Com consortium. What role is independent media playing in transforming journalism and re-engaging with local communities? That's the focus of this latest podcast from the Media Delcom project, produced by Media Diversity Institute Global and hosted by me, Tanya Saksuski. Our series of podcasts is exploring how the media is changing to meet current challenges, as well as looking at the opportunities for deliberation. In this episode, we meet the editor of a new independent media organization in Leicester in England. How is deliberation or a high level of engagement with his local community shaping the news agenda and why is it so important for success? But first, we meet the former editor of a major newspaper in the city, Nick Carter, to get his take on what's changed since he was in the role and what's needed for the media to survive well into the future. Nick, you're an editor of a, a regional paper here in the UK for 15 years, the Leicester Mercury. You've now retired. How much has the industry changed since you left the business? Well, it, it's changed more than I thought anybody ever imagined it could, because when I first started editing the Leicester Mercury in 1993, I had more than 100 journalists in my team, and we were selling 120,000 copies of the newspaper six days a week. We were running nine editions a day. And over the course of, of an average week, getting on for half a million people would see at least one copy of the newspaper. So the impact that had on the community in terms of providing views and news and information and debate was huge. But of course, that was taken for granted. That's how strong regional newspapers have always been. Uh, we now have a situation where that same newspaper still has a print edition. It sells 7,000 a night. It has a, a strong online presence, which reaches a lot of people. But what's gone completely is that multi-page, carefully curated package of information and views, moderate voices, rather than the extremes that you now find on social media platforms. And the disconnect between, or what appears, I think, is the disconnect between the people producing the newspaper and the people consuming the news that they put out on social media it is a fundamental one. We all know local and regional newspapers are very important for local communities. Why do you think there is this big disconnect between the media and those local communities today? I think what's happened is that the absence of that package that hundreds of thousands of people were buying has changed the habits of the readers. They simply don't consume news and information in that way anymore. Obviously, the national papers still sell, but then they always did, although not in the sort of numbers that they do now. They've declined as well. But it's as though it's as though everybody suddenly just gave up wanting to buy a local newspaper. And they've, they're obviously finding some of the things they were interested in from other sources. But it may actually be that an awful lot of people just switched off from it and realized that they could get there, they could look for a job online more easily than they could by buying a newspaper. So all the jobs advertising went away. You can get a car online now. You can search England for a car 
um, which you, you couldn't do through a newspaper. So all that advertising went. The property advertising, all that went away online. So all of a sudden, the package itself might still have had news and information, but it didn't have other very useful stuff. So, so that significant weakening of the package. And then all of a sudden, owners see the revenue falling off and realize that the graph has a, is going to, is going to fall off the bottom right hand corner. And therefore, then they start cutting costs. So the quality is compromised. They have to cut more costs. People get less interested. And if you're really interested in lots of local news, I think you people must be very frustrated at the moment because there aren't really that many places where you can get a coordinated package of it. Do you think trying to reverse that decline then relies on engaging your readership, engaging your local community? Is that what's missing today? There's no sign that the people who own the remnants of the regional press are interested in re-engaging with anybody. They're clearly under significant financial pressure. So they're really only interested in how they can, how long they can keep the business going and how long they can keep the profit margins going. I'm not speaking from inside knowledge, but that appears to be what's happening. Where the desire for engagement comes is from people who are starting new ventures who want to provide a community service. They obviously eventually, at some point in the future, might want to be profitable. But at this point, it's about filling what they see as a gap. And there are a number of examples of those around the country. I think they want to engage with their new audience, with their prospective audience. But the biggest gap is the one that that, that nobody's trying to fill. It, it's, the, it's that regular message of informed, moderate, sometimes challenging news and information that doesn't exist anymore. And communities have lost that. Is that where some something like deliberative journalism and communications could come in and fill a gap? Is there a is there a need for it? Is there a value to that for, for local communities and local media? Yes, I think there is, because if we accept that, that a significant proportion of the population have, in the first instance, got out of the habit of buying that, that strong local package, that strong local product, and have, in some cases, have had to satisfy their need for, for local information from whatever's replaced it which is not terribly good and a bit fragmented and so on anybody trying to come into that area has got to come in with a different approach nobody shows any signs of coming in with the money to suddenly say right we're now producing a 48 page newspaper seven days a week it's going to be great so nobody's even going to test that so where do you start well deliberative journalism as i understand it works on the basis of engaging with an audience so the new starts have all appear to be engaging with that audience as a basic principle of their of their start. We have the most recent startup in Leicester of the Great Central Gazette, which has a model of, first of all, acquiring subscribers, reaching out to people, encouraging them to subscribe, and then launching a website, and then getting more subscribers and building on that basis. The Bristol Cable, a very well-developed example in the Southwest, and the Manchester Mill in Manchester are on exactly the same basis, but several years ahead. They already have quite a strong presence and are starting to flex their muscles in a campaigning way, starting to bring about change in the behaviours of local authorities. And I think that's one of the fundamental things that, that citizens like to see. They like to see the people who, who are there to serve them, the public servants, being held to account, victories in terms of transparency, from the local authority. The Manchester Mill has a similar campaigning approach. They have annual general meetings. 
for their subscribers, for their supporters. They have online votes about policy changes. So there's a very, very strong engagement, which when I added regional newspapers, we didn't have in that immediate way because online wasn't developed. So it was never really there. So I think that's that's a sea change. Of course, it's far too early to say whether it's sustainable because the numbers involved, even in Manchester, even in Bristol, are not vast. Nick mentioned the Great Central Gazette. It's a new not-for-profit newspaper written by and for local people in Leicester. Rhys Everquill is one of the journalists behind it. We're a cooperative newspaper um, based off the model pioneered by the Bristol Cable. Um, And essentially what that means is we're completely owned by our members and our members are made up of people from the local community. Anyone can join uh, the co-op regardless income or anything like that you just sort of have to be from Leicester it's completely open and voluntary and becoming a member gets you access to several different benefits like you know paywalled articles and things like that local discounts as a cooperative it also gives you a vote in how the organization is run it gives you a say in what we do on the day-to-day so we have quarterly general meetings with our members where they can review our policies, tell us what we're doing right or doing wrong, and um, just help us help steer us in the right direction, really. And then we have a board of directors, which is elected equally from the reader membership and our employee membership. So all of our employees can also be members of the co-op. Why did you decide to do this? It's quite an open and transparent model. We wanted... The old sort of uh, legacy news model that's out there right now that is quite reliant on advertising is dying. It's not working for local communities in major local newspapers. And we wanted a newspaper that could be directly supported by its readers. And the cooperative model was just a sort of natural progression in that idea. I don't think we could have had a membership system that doesn't give people ownership and control over the product and the brand that they're investing into. So that's sort of why we ended up becoming a co-op, I guess. What's quite interesting about what you've done is that you really engage the local community in the whole process of setting up this, this media outlet, this paper. It was kind of, I guess, a form of deliberative communication to get their views. Why? And what difference did that make? It was necessary. We didn't want to seem like we were power dropping into a community. Um, I mean, we've been here, all of the core team have been here for years. But we didn't want to just sort of say we were the vanguard of the local community doing this. Um, We wanted the the community to be a part of it from the very beginning. And we ran various meetings with local people, groups, charities, and got their two cents on everything, really. Um, We ran a survey as well, which was, I think, completed by about 50 or 60 people. And uh, that really gave us some decent groundwork to build on and create a newspaper that people wanted, not what we just thought people wanted. So I was just going to ask you what they told you, but I guess what you found out was the type of stories or the type of information they want you to give them. Yeah, so there's two parts to that, really. One, people told us they didn't like advertising on websites. They thought local newspapers here in Leicester, their websites were quite intrusive and they couldn't read a decent news story and they didn't really like or didn't know where that money was going. And then secondly, they, like you said, told us about uh, the stories they wanted us to focus on. So there was an overwhelming result for events and 
longer form journalism and that sort of you know half the team has a background in investigative journalism so it's always going to be investigative in some way but it sort of confirmed our beliefs really and um being a cooperative you know events are a big part of being a co-op uh, regardless of what co-op you are if you're a co-op food store you still run events of that nature there's a lot of community engagement that goes on um so yeah it was a natural progression for us really so the community is is really an important part of your process moving forward as well but you've also you told me before that uh, every story will have the community at the at its heart what does that mean we're not going to source as experts or you know, interviewees from outside of Leicester. Um, that's not what people want to read about in a local newspaper. We're not going to be covering new, like national news, national politics. None of that really matters to our local communities. They can get that elsewhere. What we want to do is tell people's stories who are local to Leicester. And we, ha- we do that in several ways. So not only will our interviewees be from Leicester or associated with Leicester in some way, but we also have a voices section of our website where people can pen first-person articles about themselves, about an experience they've been through or something they've done recently in the local community, which differs from op-eds, opinion pieces, slightly in the sense that we're not looking for you know, controversial topics or clickbait in that section. It's very much about good, positive stories that people can tell themselves. As you said, you're not the first paper doing this, but do, is this sort of the future of journalism, do you think? I think so. Uh, journalism has to be more independent, more accountable. We're facing news deserts across the country, and I think independent newspapers will pop up in their stead. Um, independent media is one of the fastest growing sectors of the media industry um, in the UK, when other newspapers are you know, shutting up shop. And I think... We're sort of seeing a growing news abandonment. You know, people are being turned off by the news nowadays, especially post-pandemic. So I think new models like ours are going to emerge that tackle that issue. And that can be done through accountable ownership like we've done, uh, but also perhaps things like solutions journalism and good news instead of news that is quite doom and gloom. So where do you see how you can add to the community, a community that's had tensions not that long ago a year or so ago there are a lot of community tensions how can you help bridge those tensions or those differences we're not going to have a solution for everything but we can at least try uh, to bring people together and i think that's what's important one way we've done this straight at launch is to make our website fully accessible and translatable in about 100 different languages um, including all the major languages spoken in leicester so i hope Anyone in Leicester, regardless of their background, regardless of current affairs, can look at the Gazette as a source for truthful news that they can be a part of and be heard as well um, in the news. Because often the news reports on people, not with people. And I like to think by making the website accessible, that's a step in the right direction. So diversity is quite important to your future. Yeah, absolutely. It has to be. Leicester is one of the most diverse cities in the UK. We couldn't be a diverse publication if we just wrote about white middle class people. It just wouldn't work because that's not what Leicester is. Leicester is, you know, majority South Asian, huge Eastern European community, a large Black Caribbean community. It's it's a vibrant city um, and we need to reflect that. You also have an educational element. Tell me about that. 
Yes, so we want to upskill the next generation of journalists. Um, we've been running workshops with local students, local journalism students, and also local sustainability students to train them in things like environmental journalism, investigative journalism. But we also are going to be running media literacy and human rights workshops in the local community. And the main point of that is media literacy is at an all-time low in the UK. It's, it's not great. Misinformation and disinformation is rife on the internet. Local communities are suffering because of that. I mean, you only need to look at the, the recent disorder in Leicester East to see a prime example of how that's affecting Leicester. Um, social media inflames those situations. And we're figuring out ways to present that to p people in an accessible, engaging and interactive way um, through the use of media literacy and human rights workshops. So what are the, the main risks and challenges ahead then for you? Um, I think every independent media outlet in the country can relate with this and say that funding is a massive issue. Ultimately, the goal is to become fully reader funded, but that, you know, that's going to be a number of years off. So trying to get as many donations and grants in as possible, at least in the early days, is essential. But the more people who become members, the more sustainable we are, the more time we can put into this and the more we can grow. And then also just making sure we get everything right in terms of our editorial values and that we're not straying into sensationalism or clickbait or anything like that. Um, because that is one thing people told us right from the beginning that people didn't want. So we've got to maintain that throughout. And that's going to be a challenge with the sort of, you know, the new issues around generative AI and language models and sort of how do we balance that with not, you know, making things sensationalist. Because often I think AI can step into that territory if you're not using it correctly. And there still needs to be a level of editorial oversight. So back to Nick Carter. Does he think papers like the Great Central Gazette are key to driving change in the media? Well, they're the only thing changing in the media environment. So whether they're key or not will depend entirely on how successful they are. At the moment, they're noticeable. They're a new presence. But the test will be how much it can be built on, because they all have what I would regard as quite small staff. So whether that can build and whether they can get a, a, a mass appeal over time, that remains to be seen. But it seems to me that the deliberative journalism approach, a different way of doing it, but it holds the possibility of tying people in more closely as the product grows. Are you optimistic at all that things can turn around and local media can have a relevance again with its local community? Yes, because I think if you look at launches like the Bristol Cable and like Manchester Mill and some of the examples of remaining old style regional journalism, I think there's reasons to be optimistic because that desire to bring news and information to people seems irrepressible. It's taken quite a long time for models to emerge that show any signs of being sustainable. But the current models of building support, winning subscribers, engaging with your audience, I think they're rising to the challenge and they've got a solid basis for it. The test is whether they can continue to build on that. So definitely worth keeping an eye on how independent media develops, how much it adopts deliberation and whether or not it can build a sustainable future. We'll be doing that here on this podcast series and we'll be examining what media organisations in other countries are doing.
For now, thank you to Rhys Everquill, editor of the Great Central Gazette, and Nick Carter, former editor of the Leicester Mercury. Don't forget, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please like and share it. Until next time, goodbye.